Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Frontside Podcast, episode 29. It's, uh, it's really super exciting. We have a lot of people on the phone, just like uh, sheer volume uh, of voices. Um, it, it's going to be exciting. My name is Charles. I'm a developer here at, at the Frontside. Uh, I'm Brandon. I'm also a developer at the Frontside. Uh, I'm, I'm Stanley. I'm, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I'm Robert. Uh, I'm also a developer at the Frontside. I'm Stanley. I'm the number one Kevin Bacon fan here at the front side. <laughs> and we have a guest with us today. Uh, we're really excited about this. Mm-hmm. This is uh, basically it's a, a crossover podcast uh, with half of uh, Emberland. Uh, we have Robert Jackson. Uh, it's pronounced Jackson. Is that correct? Uh, it's Jackson. Yes. Jackson. It's French. Jackson. Yeah, I, I figured. So, yes, um, Robert, welcome. We're really glad to, to get to talk to you. There's uh, obviously a lot of reasons that we wanted to talk to you. There, you're uh, one of uh, People Magazine's 50 Most Fascinating People, all that stuff. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into that a little later. But um, yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit? Uh, things have changed for you a little bit recently. So do you want us to tell us uh, you know, where you live, what you're up to, um, and uh, a little bit about yourself? Social yeah. security number? Yeah. Uh, yeah, nope. I don't remember that. So you're safe. I'm safe, actually, for myself. Uh, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm up in the Northeast. Um, I live uh, a little bit outside of Providence, Rhode Island. Um, up until about... Uh, a month and a half ago, I was uh, commuting in to Boston, which is about a uh, two-hour commute, um, and uh, uh, worked at Dockyard, a great group of folks, uh, had a great time there, um, and then uh, left there to uh, to work with, uh, with Aptable. Uh, we're a, uh, um, a startup that does uh, essentially compliance-related things for uh, for healthcare apps, uh, we do a managed deployment platform, um, provide some compliance tools, um, some really great stuff, uh, stuff there. Um, and that's, a lot that's, of Ember there as well. That's all Angular though, right? Uh, no, no, I, I threw that in there at the end. No, uh, so we, <laughs> our, our dashboard app, which is uh, essentially what you use to manage your, uh, you know, your running uh, servers and, and platform domains, all that kind of jazz, uh, is an Ember app, and it's an open source Ember app. You can take a look at it at uh, github.com slash aptable slash dashboard.aptable.com. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, so it's a, it's a dashboarding app that it's like reusable for other, uh, other purposes as well? It is. It is not intended to be reused, although it can be. Um, obviously, it's it's tied very directly to our API. Uh-huh. Um, the reason we open sourced it was because uh, at the at the time um, there is there's very few decent sized uh, like medium to large size apps that are open source that people can look at for inspiration um, in Ember. Um, it's a very common question if you sort of take a look at the Slack channel and um, you know the general or need help uh, uh, channels there. You know people are like, well, how does this structure when you get here? Um, and it's really awesome to be able to like link people directly to um, you know real app code showing yeah. how a given thing is done. And that's sort of hard to find. People ask this all the time. Like uh, I didn't know about this until just now. So that's really actually very useful. It's interesting. Yeah, I wonder if uh, Ehani would like to add that to his growing list of open source Ember like, apps that are like real life apps. Yeah, that's yeah. Very, that's pretty useful. Um, so, uh, and and people know you probably in the Ember community. People might know you from like literally everything. Um, <laughs> so there's there's pretty much no part of the community that you don't have your hands on personally, and uh, and and I think. I, like I've seen, I've seen you work. Um, I think anybody that's seen you has seen you work because it's pretty much what you do. So uh, I don't, I'm, I'm curious, in, like if you could like run us through some of the roles that you play, some of the stuff that you do in a given day for uh, between your job and the Ember community. Like walk you through a day in the life kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, maybe. Like if if that's the easiest way to go through it, or like the various roles that you participate in, or like, but yeah, if it's easier to think about it chronologically. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the sort of the breakdown is um, I, uh, I, you know, I get started when I get up, I, I basically then uh, go through and <clears throat> try to triage any issues that were opened uh, between the last time I checked issues um, and, uh, and you know, obviously get food and whatnot. Which I'm guessing is like right before you went to yes, bed. Yes, yes. We'll get there at the end. Don't, don't worry. This is the whole podcast. <laughs> this is the whole podcast. You don't even know. Um, yeah. So, uh, so. You know, depending on, you know, we have a lot of like overseas uh, stuff happens and whatnot, like different time zones. I'm in Eastern, so there's a lot of Pacific stuff. 
Um, so, you know, so sometimes it'll be anywhere from, you know, 30, uh, you know, 30 notifications to, you know, sometimes a hundred if someone got frisky and decided to go through all the issues and comment on everything. Um, you know, so I try to triage that, make sure there's no like fires or something crazy that, uh, you know, where I pushed a bad tagged release or something stupid, but, uh, yeah, so we do that. And then, um, I try to focus on work. I, I shut down a lot of, uh, direct ping sort of notification stuff uh, while I'm trying to focus on work stuff. Um, but I then my poke bad. up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so then I, uh, I try to poke my head up uh, periodically. So I, I, I tend to do Pomodoros uh, for work. So I, I try to pop my head up at, you know, the, the you know, five minute interval between uh, Pomodoros and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I go through that and then, you know, take off, do dad stuff, take the kids to swim practice or karate or, or whatever that night's activity is. Um, and then when the house is quiet, I start working again. And, and so this is a, this is a paid position, right? On the team. Uh, which, which, which particular one? The, 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 where you do all the, all the work around triaging issues, et cetera, et cetera. Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's paid in love and yeah. screaming. No, uh, nobody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a parent. Uh, how many kids do you have? I have two, two boys, okay. two boys. How, uh, how old are they? Uh, seven and six. Awesome. Okay. So you have, you have two kids and an open source project. So you, you have three kids. Yeah. So you basically <laughs> like thankless work is what you're telling me is I enjoy the satisfaction of a successful issue tracking. Um, that's really well put. Uh, a well put way to label an addiction to something. Uh, so y- y- I, there's a reason there's a lot of us here today, Robert. <laughs> we love you very much. We're here for you. This is an intervention. <laughs> <laughs> We're all here for you because we love you, and uh, we feel like maybe it's time that you slow down a little bit. So yeah, we 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 wanted to stage a little bit of an intervention for you, Robert. Uh, we're, we're worried. We're worried that you're gonna the, that you're gonna just burn, burst into uh, flames spontaneously at some point, and then there'll be no ember for anybody. Well, I mean, I, I only do a small portion of the actual work that's going on, so it does. It, I mean, it does seem that you like in terms of the number, you know, the amount of work happening. That may be like statistically true, but it's pretty outsized for a typical person. Um, that's a that's that's a lot of stuff. And you you seem to deal with it better than most people I know. Uh, that like personally, I know like I think we've talked uh, on the podcast previously, and we'll probably talk again about my constant companion of burnout. Like, how do you uh, do all this stuff and avoid that? Well, I mean, there's there's a few things. First of all, the, when I got started, uh, looking at Ember, working at Ember, um, I did it as an outlet. Like it was specifically the thing that I did to avoid burnout. So did, little did I know that we would be here later, right? No, um, <laughs> you know, at the the my day job a couple of years ago was was pretty pretty bad uh, near the end, and you know, um, I I ended up doing um, I ended up doing Ember open in in my sort of free time uh, just as a, as an outlet to like code, do things, get things done, um, and I actually still really enjoy the times when I can kind of sit down with a you know, a some somewhat non-trivial bug, and like just like put the time in, and like track it down, see what's happening. There is so much craziness um, to me still um, in in the Ember code base that uh, that just not not crazy isn't wrong or bad, just like so complicated. Uh, some of the internals, some of the the way some of the dependencies work, and chaining computeds and observers and all this stuff. Um, you know that you don't you don't imagine that stuff happening when you like visit a normal page. Um, like you don't see all these like hundreds of thousands of events that are firing. Um, so like to track something down in there is is actually um, pretty fun. Actually, strange as that might sound. We have different definitions of fun. Well, okay, the fun part is the end, right? But so you got to look yes. at the journey. You have to look at the journey as part of the lead up to the end. Yeah, the whole story. Stan- okay. Stanley should be one to talk. Like he's on the Ember Data team. <laughs> like <laughs> about <laughs> like finding any satisfaction in solving uh, uh, things that are totally loopy. Well, uh, what I learned from uh, Rails is that ORMs are an easy problem and are already solved. So we just had to port Rails to JavaScript, <laughs> and we're done. You know, I hear a lot of good things about RJS. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. I I want to move back. Wait. 
so um, uh, I had I had some questions for you about your past. There, you have a sort of different past than I think a lot of uh, open source developers. You see, um, you see a lot of people who are uh, sort of young and single and have a little bit of extra time and are passionate about something and uh and get get involved at that point and then and then sort of people tend to age out of a lot of open source contribution and you actually kind of did the opposite you were doing other stuff before um and i'm sort of fascinated by this concept can we talk about that a little bit before you were doing open source stuff and uh working as a developer you were actually running a business yep yep uh Uh, yeah so i i uh we ran a uh healthcare uh billing company um in uh, central florida for um, I, I only ran it for, uh, five or six years, but I worked there for about 17 years. So yeah. Can you, wow. can you yeah. explain how that all happened? Were you a developer there at the beginning or like how did, uh, so how did that the, all shake the, out? Yeah. The company was, was very young. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we went in there, uh, my father and I were partners there. Um, and, uh, we went in there and, and essentially, uh, brought the, you know, technology stack wise. I mean, they were running on, you know, Essentially, uh, an i-series or an AS400, whatever you want to call it. Oh, I worked um, on those. Um, you know, connected together with TwinX, with like mm-hmm. two PCs with AOL accounts uh, <laughs> in the office of like 15 people. Um, and this was in the late 90s, so like 98, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then, you know, kind of brought that through the uh, well, somewhat modern at the time era, um, where you know we kind of set it all up and got. Got uh, got the systems interconnected and networking and all that kind of jazz. Just kind of standard IT work at that point. Um, and then we, um, you know, basically to feed the business, um, we uh, had to make it more efficient because the way the processes were done at the time were ex- was extremely inefficient and just billing in general was a lot of manual processes. Um, you know, so uh, so I became a programmer at that point uh, specifically with just the very direct need that we have to make this more efficient or be out of jobs. Hmm. I think uh, a lot of people that don't have the experience of running a business don't have, like it's hard to get that perspective where, where you are facing like business ending uh, event. If you don't, you know, if you don't do things a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I like how many people were there, uh, at so, the time. So at the, at, you know, at the, at the, at the beginning, it was very small, it was like 20 people. Um, so, but by the time I was running the business, um, it was roughly 60 people ish. And because you, you actually got into development, you, you didn't come into serving any technical role at all. You like transitioned into development purely out of necessity. Uh, yes, correct. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I did it, I did data entry. Like when I, when I first started mm-hmm. there, I just did whatever role was needed. And in theory, I, I guess I knew some computery things. Um, so, you know, so I, I nominate, I got nominated all the time for, you know, the IT work, the, the, you know, connecting to hospital systems and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then transitioned pretty quickly, actually six, six months or eight months after starting, um, there, uh, into doing, uh, like proactive, like, uh, software, like building specific tailored software for that company that was just internal, no sales. It wasn't an external thing that was geared directly towards uh, straight up efficiency. Like we're talking, you know, to analyze these accounts, to collect money from these insurance companies, you have to do like, look at these 27 different screens in this AS400. Um, you know, so I wrote a program that would drive those screens and print it all out onto giant reams of paper. Um, and, uh, a person could analyze it in like one minute, whereas it would take, you know, five minutes just to go through all the screens. So let me, you know, let me ask you a question. Hmm? Did you write any RPG? I did RPG CL, um, Shh, and okay. eventually Java once the <laughs> box that we had was powerful enough to run Java. Uh, and then I found a thing, uh, that let me run Python on the 400, what? um, directly, uh, natively, not like through like Java land or anything, just like natively. Um, and that was the best. So, uh, <laughs> I didn't, as, I've as never heard of that to, in my life. As opposed to like RPG and CL, it was it was great. Wow. <laughs> that is this, getting, wait, CL. That's not common lisp, is no, it? No, that is uh, command language. I think is what it stands uh, for. I just remember. I don't remember very much. I have like like faint uh, mem- memories and specific like. I don't know when you say things like QSEC offer a pain mm-hmm. goes down my spine. Yes, that's oh, all yes. I remember. 
Yeah, yeah. So we we um we we had uh, the software package we ended up uh, we were using on that box uh, for the whole duration of the time I was there uh, got sunsetted some some point like halfway through. So we had to basically decompile the source and like maintain it ourselves. Um, you know, so it it got interesting. So how does that tra- how does this transition happen? So you're running a business and and I can totally understand being like, "Well, see ya." <laughs> but I don't know if that's how it went down, but <laughs> No, not at all. Um so so basically in uh in healthcare in general, so liability is a huge thing. Um like huge. You can do the wrong thing and essentially be um, uh, potentially at risk for maintaining credit monitoring for millions of patients at however many dollars uh, a person, right? Like that is that is a business-ending event, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's just if you potentially had a breach, like if a hard drive was stolen out of your building, kind of thing. Like that, you it may even be, have been a criminal act, but you are still potentially responsible for for the uh, the monitoring and all that kind of stuff. You know, so uh, so the partners, my other partners and I kind of evaluated that after having worked there for a long, long time and decided that, uh, you know, the market was good and, and we decided to sell the company. So, uh, so yeah, so they kept me on for a couple of years and then subsequent, uh, subsequently there, I think uh, it kind of became a not wonderful work environment. Um, and then that's when I started looking for uh, other things to do. So... Did you go directly to Dockyard from there, or were you, did you do something in between? Uh, no. So I, yeah. So when I, I went to Dockyard from there, after sort of um, the 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 entry point to Ember was there in that same time frame, um, maybe six months or seven months before uh, moving and going over to Dockyard. Okay. So you, yeah, I remember you were doing. I remember when you had started. You sort of announced that you were starting at Dockyard at EmberConf last year, right? Around that time. Uh, so it was. It, I started in uh, January of. Uh, 14. So okay. I don't know. So it's well before a couple of months before Ember. Yeah. Ember a couple months. Um, how did, how did you get into Ember? Cause we talked to Trek last week and, uh, he told us that, uh, some of the first commits that he'd seen, uh, was around documentation. Is that how you kind of ramped in? Yeah. So, um, if you, if you put on your way back hats, um, you <laughs> will, uh, you will remember, um, back in the lead up to 1.0, uh, there was a lot of work being done and uh, in around both Ember App Kit uh, itself, uh, which sort of emerging potentially like the grunt pipeline and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then Trek was organizing uh, what amounted to be like a giant documentation audit, like just review every single file, have a giant issue with the checklist in GitHub and like someone got assigned to every file and submit PRs to I think his fork. And then he would like rebase against Manster manually. Um, which I'm sure, like knowing what I know now, was a massive pain in the butt. Also, yeah. So, uh, so I think, uh, so I heard him talk about this on a uh, on a podcast at the time um, back in you know July or something. Just and Ember 1.0 was released in August of that year, um, and then uh, sort of was interested in it and uh, jumped in and, and just read through the source and committed, uh, you know, proposed some docs changes and whatnot. So I guess I guess that's how I got into Ember itself. Now before that, I was, you know, up leading up to that, I was actually um, working on a um, uh, migrating in a Rails app to um, a, more of a Rails API plus Ember front end um, in in the company. That's where I was sort of aware of uh, Ember in general. And then I think shortly after that, I did a training in uh, Chicago uh, with Yehuda and Tom, and Oddly enough, was had a hangout with Steph at that same uh, that same week, um, to and he was crazy enough to give me commit to AppKit, uh, and uh, you know, then the I was history. I, yeah. Well, and then I was screwed because I had to now like I got commit to this thing, so now I have to maintain it. <laughs> well, you touched it. <laughs> that's last. the trick. Exactly. Oh, that's the trick. Is that how this works? <laughs> yes, that's the trick. Yeah. Yes. So the process, so it's sort of like, I mean, this is pretty typical, right? That it's sort of organic. Um, was your interest in Ember motivated by work that you were doing at the time? Or was it motivated by, you know, like it looked like a cool project? Like how did, how did that all happen? 
Um, so, so we had, uh, you know, in the healthcare space at the time, there was a bunch of regulations that was happening um, that was that were basically requiring us to change the way we uh, we did some some business. So, a, a large part of the workload that that the company did was like data enter, right? So they get a bunch of paper from hospitals or from doctor's offices or whatever, and we have to type in the addresses and all that kind of jazz. Um, this was before sort of interfaces where you could get that electronically were super widespread. Um, even today, they're not uh, like 100% guaranteed. But but at the time, it was all hand entry. Um, and uh, we used cloud services, S3, uh, EC2, all that kind of stuff to store the images. So we'd sca- everything came in and got scanned. A big percentage of our workforce was remote, probably 45%. So we, we put them in, we scanned in the images so that the people that were remote could still do the data entry. Right, um, and actually uh, removed a lot of our bandwidth costs actually uh, because we could have a smaller pipe. All we had to do was upload to S3, and then you know they would be able to download it at higher speeds. So, uh, so the issue was that the regulations basically required that we could not allow caching of the images at all on their machines. Um, which uh, the way the app was set up was a Rails app, um, and it was sort of a, a what I'm going to call a wizard. So you go through a bunch of pages, and if you are downloading 15 pages of uh, you know PNGs basically, uh, and you have fif- maybe 10 different steps in the wizard that you have to submit a submit for, um, well, if you can't cache those images, uh, it starts to really take a long time. So, uh, so that's the that's basically where we started looking for our front end JavaScript solution to uh, to allow us to do that work in the client and only have to download the image one time. Did that make any sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, so it was basically sort of of necessity of like, okay, well, we got to find, and you sort of evaluated what was out there at the time and started messing around with Ember, and then it, and then some of it stuck to you in the form of maintenance. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, at the time for myself, like I had been doing Rails since um, like 1.0, right? So the same app that we actually migrated to become a Rails API plus Ember Frontend was started life as a Rails 1.0 app. Um, And, um, you know, so I was I was very familiar with the concept of like convention and the the sort of mental model uh, that that seems to permeate some of Ember, um, or at least at the time. I think it does probably still too, but I'm too close to it. And uh, and also aware of like Yehuda and a lot of the other people that were involved at the time, you know, sort of that's what made it easy to pick Ember um, over other things. Also, I didn't really want to write all of the glue uh, like what uh, like what you might do with like a backbone app, or um, and I certainly didn't want a giant wad of spaghetti with uh, you know jQuery soup and and whatnot. Yeah, I think uh, hopefully hopefully everybody doing Ember has at least had to do that one time. Like, yes. I don't I don't ever want to do that again. Um, no. Yes, agreed. Was was Ember your first open source con- contribution, or did you do anything before that? Uh, so I had done a bunch uh, before that. Um, I think my first uh, my first GitHub uh, like pull request. There was uh, at one point there was this site going around that would show you your first pull request. Uh, my first GitHub pull request was to an HMAC library to do uh, in Ruby to uh, to allow us to upload. Uh, images to S3. This was when I was building out that imaging solution initially. But uh, but even before that, um, while running this uh, while running the healthcare billing company, we had managed a call center. So I had done a number of um, PRs to Asterisk, the open source uh, telephony platform, mm-hmm. um, and those are those were sort of my most harangued PRs. I I I am not a C programmer at all. Um, and it took me quite a long time to track anything down. But, um, you know, we had some some issues at work where, you know, we couldn't do call distribution properly and it was like not even. So we had to fix some bugs in the algorithm to like distribute the calls to all of our agents. Like we had 10 or 15 people taking calls and you don't want one person getting all the calls unless you want them to like go postal. So. <laughs> So, so now you, you, I don't know, like, like people, open source is sort of egalitarian in that it, they don't like assigning people necessarily like names and titles and ranks for their jobs, right? Like everybody just kind of helps how they can. But you've taken sort of a uh, central, at least switchboardy type role where you are sort of holding the all, all the things together on on Ember. I think everybody sort of recognizes that because you're very visible. And it, it seems like you wind up being the customer service wing. In addition to doing all the technical stuff you do, you wind up being sort of the customer service arm of uh, handling a lot of these types of issues. 
Um, I have to imagine like that that can be sort of taxing at times. And if whether you run into sort of any entitlement issues with people or if people are mostly pretty cool, like what's your experience like with that now? So I, I've had I have I have gone through uh, a bunch of phases. You know, I, I at one point I because I felt that my responses were biased based on the people that were submitting them. I actually wrote a Chrome extension that blocked um, any uh, usernames from when I look at GitHub. You know, so that so that that couldn't like influence the way I looked at a problem. Um, I, I know that sounds really wacky, uh, but I felt it was important at the time. Um, and then later, uh, that turned out to be a problem. But that's another story. Um, so so I have I have had uh, I've 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 struggled with that. I, I've got a lot of um, sort of issues with people like opening issues are like. Uh, what, what's a good example? Like uh, basically, it, it this is work. broken. This is broken. You suck. I hate you. Um, fix it. I'm going to react. Yeah, fi- fix it. How yeah. can you clearly those software? are orthogonal yeah. concerns? <laughs> How can you write software for a living, or or like just like where they get really irate, like essentially right away, or start out confrontational? Um, oftentimes, those are actually easier issues to deal with because it's basically obvious that they're either trolls or don't understand how the world works. Um, so that's you know you can either close it or you can reply and say this is the reasoning we're done. Don't so so if I if I may connect the dots here, so you're anonymizer. You started responding to an obvious troll until you realized it was Tom. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so the 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 anonymizer thing uh, actually became an issue when uh, people's screen names started being political statements, um, and I wasn't seeing the screen mm. names, so I merged a PR um, from a person uh, that had a very offensive screen. Uh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I remember that, that whole like thing. And I, that's interesting that it, that something you were doing to try to help, help things run more smoothly and, and fairly turned out to sort of be the, a, a filter that we actually need. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I, I hope unrelated. I mean, I don't think it happened because I was doing this, but um, you know, my, like a lot of times you look at a person's like history or whatever to know, um, like often, like what, like how much weight do you put behind? Like, is this, oh my God, sound all the alarm bells ever issue? Or is this like, a, well, I'm not really sure what's going on here, but let's investigate when we have time issue. Um, so one of the ways you do that is by like, whether you potentially, you know, this person and have they been sort of, uh, reported issues in the past that were, um, you know, accurate or, or followed the right, uh, you know, debugging practices and that kind of stuff. Um, so, so that's, I, I felt like that was like wrong. Like I, I didn't want to provide like undo, like, I don't know, like preference favoritism. basically. Yeah. Favoritism, preference, that kind of thing to specific people. So, um, I, uh, so that's why I did the, the whole, uh, uh, plugin thing. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that, um, I think conferences are doing this now and they realized, uh, so there's, there's actually some, this has been the same tension is happening in a, in a lot of communities now where they're anonymizing conference proposals to say, Hey, we want to be really egalitarian in the way that we handle this. And we want, uh, everybody have an equal chance, but bad things are happening because of that, I guess. And, yeah. uh, certain people are being filtered out because they're not as good at, uh, writing, you know, the, the, the proposal part or whatever. And, uh, so they now phase it where like, there's a part of it where it's anonymous and then they go back before it, everything gets approved. And I don't, I, I, can't, I have a hard time imagining a Chrome extension that would handle this properly <laughs> for you. So, um, it's, sorry, it's delicate and nuanced, uh, you know, like. But that, that I, there's, I'm that's a pretty cool sure idea. Google's got no, one. No, when as soon as you said that, I was like, "Wow, that's a really cool idea," and it, I didn't think about the problems associated with just like you know, just like you didn't uh, get, like, "Wow, that actually is a vector for potential abuse or whatever." So yeah, yeah. everything. I mean, you it wasn't a thing that is, I thought about. It wasn't a thing that I had thought about before. Um, I, I basically viewed the the sort of favoritism as uh, a big issue with myself personally at the time, mm-hmm. um, where where I would like snap judge on on a thing. Um, incorrectly, and and so this was just my internal attempt at uh, at like trying to like, hey, don't be a jerk. Take the time. Everyone deserves like X effort. Um, you know. So that was the that was the idea. Well, now now I don't have any excuse for when all my pull requests got rejected. I thought I thought for sure it was a personal vendetta. Now, <laughs> maybe I'm just not very good at this. Well, you know, I can look at them later. So. <laughs> 
Um, that no, that's uh, I, I think that's a, a super cool idea. Um, and your uh, your your participation in the Ember community is sort of like you know sort of legendary in the, on the open source side. But I don't know what like what you're doing from a uh, product perspective, I assume that you have had when you were at Dockyard and now currently, you have to actually, sh- uh, your full-time job is not shipping open source stuff. Correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, Dockyard was great. They, they gave me uh, about 20% time. So one day a week we worked on um, things that furthered generally furthered the company's objective and, and they're pretty invested in uh, Ember. So, so the, I mostly worked on Ember. You know, I, I mean, I probably worked on, work on Ember on, you know, weekly basis, like, 20 or 30 hours, but, um, it was, it was really great. This was the first time when I was like, okay, to work on open source, uh, for a company I worked for. Um, and, uh, and also now with, with Aptable, it's basically, um, it's different because Dockyard is a consultancy. So, you know, you're always essentially on, um, you know, the, what I'm going to call the client's dime, um, you know, and, and you, you ultimately make different sorts of decisions than you might make if it was a product. Uh, or your product, where you are like invested in in the the directly like the 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 end result. Um, so uh, you know, so there's is different trade offs that you make. Like oftentimes, it's not fair to build a client to track down a bug in a framework where you know a workaround. For example, it's not worth the the ten hours it might take to them um, at uh, at whatever the billing rate is. Um, whereas um, the thing that I'm working on with with Aptable, it's very important to get it done 100% the right way. You know, and if that means going upstream and fixing things, we're pretty dedicated to open source in general. That I mean, our apps, all of our front end apps are open source, um, like I, I mentioned earlier. Um, you know, so so that's uh, pretty important, like culturally for for us. Yeah, that's an interesting thought about the trade offs, and and I, I definitely can relate because we're a consultancy and we work really hard to try to be a uh, a participant in the open source stuff that we use, but it, again, at, at the, at the end of it all, it is, uh, you know, that's pretty hard and fast. Uh, we get to, you know, stay open if we do work for other people that they like, and we work to carve out as much of that as we can. But I think you'll have, um, yeah, it seems like you might have some influence over how you spend your time on some of that stuff at, at, during the work. Would you work full time on, uh, open source if that was your job? Would like, would you take a job doing that or would you rather work on products as well? Uh, this is going to sound like a really wacky answer and we can always edit in post, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, um, I, I thought about that before, uh, before like looking around for positions, uh, and before accepting adaptable, I had a number of pretty large companies come to me and say, Hey, look, we, we'd love to, you know, basically fund or, or pay for, for you to work and you can work full time on open source. Um, and, and, you know, I struggled with that for a little while. Um, dollars signs are nice, um, but um, in the in the end, uh, the reason I do open source is because I love to do open source, and when it becomes work, I probably don't love it. Um, I, I mean, I love I do love what I do, but like when you have to do it, you don't have a choice. Um, you don't have the the ability to turn fun. it down. It's not the same thing, and it can't be my outlet mm. anymore, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I kind of decided not to, you know, if I wanted to like right now, uh, if, if there was a specific thing and I just didn't want to do it, um, you know, I don't have to, no one, <laughs> no one, uh, no one's going to tell me that you have to do this, you know, I mean, unless it's directly work related, but still, I mean, it's unlikely. Um, whereas if, uh, you know, if, if I were employed for open source stuff, then I might have to work on specific things or, uh, be forced to, and, and, you know, that's no fun. I don't want to, uh, this is the wacky part. I don't want to end up being beholden to any individual, uh, thing, you know, on the, on the sort of what I consider my playground. Right. So, um, this is where, this is what I do for fun. Um, work is one thing and I can compartmentalize that. That's fine. Um, even though I do love what I do having to uh having this extra area where i can go and and do my own thing essentially whatever thing strikes my fancy um i i actually really enjoy that is not a wacky answer no that is like on point <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be kind of wacky i mean profound which which one is that <laughs> well you don't know where the you don't, you know i'm one of those people i uh, i'm hearing the things i'm saying for the first time along with you so uh, <laughs> maybe it's, it was gonna uh, be wacky. Maybe we're experiencing out. all this that, together. That's why Ember. Ember it's as the kids say, it's on fleek, you know. On, yeah, 
in Emberland, uh, Dan, Dan keeps you on a pretty tight leash there. You are the, you are the, here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. Here's what's going on. And I, I need that. And I love that. But I, I was really glad we got the chance to talk to you and, and get a little bit more in, in like personality and what your, what your life is like. Uh, cause honestly it sounded like it, like by all people work-life balance sense that people would get by seeing your output, they would assume that your life is awful, that you have a terrible life. It sounds like it's actually all right. No, I, well, so it, it is wonderful. Um, I, uh, you know, uh, working for Aptable, I'm, I'm remote, I'm at home um, now for, it's been two months now, almost. Um, it's been, it's been really great. Uh, the kids have also happened to be out of school because it's summertime here. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's been great. You know, I can take a five minute break and I can go for a walk with the kids or I can go play basketball or whatever. And that's the thing that, that I had sorely been missing, um, you know, since, since, uh, when we moved up here, um, you know, the basically commuting like four hours a day, basically, um, was, uh, was pretty brutal. And then, uh, the first, uh, the, the, the first winter and, you know, you had the whole, uh, transit system shut down because we had crazy snow and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, it was it was pretty stressful there for a while. Um, and uh, you know, you uh, you have to learn to adapt to it. Um, and uh, I'm just I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that I'm I'm able to be uh, you know work from home and and kind of step out for a quick break and you know play ball with the kids or play catch or you know go throw the frisbee or whatever you know that kind of stuff. That's that's been um, probably the the single best. Uh, change up in the last sort of three months for me. Have you have you ever worked remote before? Or, uh... um, so I had done some. Uh, so while I was working for Dockyard for uh, you know a couple days a week, I did uh, did work remote. And then also um, when I was down in in Florida, um, when I first started with Dockyard before I moved up to the the um, the Northeast, uh, I was remote for three or four months. Um, it's very different uh, being remote for a company that is all centrally located, being the the remote guy. Uh, uh-huh. From being uh, with a company that is all remote or essentially remote, which is which is where which is what Aptable is. Mm. So does Aptable have an office or? Uh, yeah, so they have an office in New York City uh, in uh, Dumbo, which actually stands for something, and it's not a flying elephant. Just so you know, um, <laughs> uh, I re- I figured that out when I was there. Um, something like under the Brooklyn Bridge yes, or something. Down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. There it is. Yep. Okay, wrong um, bridge, basic yeah, concept. You can see them all from there, right? Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So there's there's an office. I think three of the of the of, of our team work out of that office um, normally, uh, and then the rest is remote. So there's there's more remote than there are co-located. I think there's ten of us total or nine of us total. Do you think you're gonna miss having like that office interaction with your coworkers, or are people pretty chatty? Uh, like whether on Slack or Hangouts or whatever you use for work. So, uh, so we do we do use Slack. Um, we also do like uh, you know Hangouts and uh, Screen Hero and pairing and stuff like that. But we don't do 100% pairing or any of that stuff. Um, I but I, um, so it's possible that it'll be an issue at some point. Um, I so far I'm just kind of living in the glow of not having to be commuting and being here with my family and I can, you know, like I said, run out and do some fun things and whatever, uh, and not have to worry about it. Um, but, uh, but it's possible that, uh, that you're right. And that eventually I'll be like, like locked in the basement dungeon working by myself. <laughs> um, but, but actually, uh, this is where like I get to leech off of the Ember community and I can get a lot of that interaction, uh, via Slack via like, there's always people in Slack. There's mm-hmm. always, it's, it's very, kind uh like 90 plus percent of the time um and uh in sort of jovial and happy um and it's great to interact with people um you know i kind of have a uh like a this is uh this is just another weird thing that i do is i have a sticky note on my desk every day and i try to answer 20 uh 20 things in uh slack uh, before that was irc but oh um, i thought you said you you had your password on the sticky note well that's that's what <laughs> it's just like ones, 20, 20 ones. one two three people four. think it's just tick marks <laughs> exactly it's no, my password yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> why do you keep tally. changing it every day yeah um yeah so i so i try to do that to try to stay in touch with both the community and be like a presence if people can ask me questions and things like that. Um, uh, hopefully that's, that's helpful. Um, I, I, I 
feel sort of bad actually um, when I when I look at issues and look at things and in theory like I could know an answer or I could potentially have a solution but I just I lack the time to provide the context for a person to fix it um, so you know so when you can get a, in a real time communication scenario where you can say hey look this boom 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 look here 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 um, uh, it's actually it's it's great um, and it it helps quite a lot so you'll see in issues like oftentimes I'll be like. I'd be happy to pair with somebody on like charting out a solution to this thing just because like I know the roadmap, but not all the roadblocks in the way. And I can give someone that has time, uh, you know, the, the right coordinates and direction to go um, and, uh, and, and make it happen. But, but I can't do it myself. I just don't have the time. So if I had, if I had one other question, uh, it would be on the, on the site, on the, on the community and the technology uh, either or both. Ember, Ember is hitting sort of a tipping point now, right? Ember is a lot different than it was when when we showed up and when you showed up. Um, and it's becoming sort of self-sustaining in a, in a different way, uh, I think, maybe in terms of like the number of people that contribute. It, obviously, you have to do a ton of stuff. But uh, do you see your role changing over the next year uh, as far as that goes? Or has it already changed a ton? Yeah. So I like, I don't, I don't know. Do you see your role shifting as, as the community starts to mature some more? Um, that's a hard one. I, I don't actually know. Um, I do know that, um, there are some things that I don't want to do, um, anymore or again, and that's related to deadline based feature releases. Um, I don't Amen. want to do that. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, no offense, no offense, yeah. Tom, we love you, but that let's not, can you not? <laughs> Um, so, so that was, it was very stressful to me. Um, I'm sure to everyone else too. Uh, I don't mean to be sound selfish there, but, you know, trying to, uh, wrangle all the things that we essentially said we were going to do and then trying to fit it all into the date, um, turned out to be, uh, extremely complicated and, uh, stressful. Um, and ultimately I think, um, you know, a thing that we probably won't do again. Um, specifically because like, it's just too hard. Like we all write software for a living. We know better than giving dates for anything. Um, <laughs> Especially know, stuff so. we do in our free time. Exactly. Exa- exactly. I mean, I, I mean, like, I, I, like, you know, this isn't an, an, a show about Ember or whatever. So we get to talk about rails, but one thing I really like about rails or that I sort of don't like about Rails is like DHH will be like, here are these features. And then like the rest of the core team will be like, that's cool. I didn't know about them, but there's never like dates for them. Like nobody really has any idea of when Rails 5 is going to get cut, except for like maybe Aaron and, and maybe the core team, but they're not very like, we're going to do this date right. about it, which I kind of like. And they'll yeah. be in stores on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that the um, there was a bunch of stuff that all sort of collided at once, and um, we've learned a ton. I think there was a lot that we did really well in the 2.0 yeah. cycle. Um, one of the things, believe it or not, is the deprecations, and that's also the thing we did really badly at. Um, so it's like Schrodinger's um, deprecation. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So um, that's probably the thing that I have gotten. I have gotten personally the, to feel the worst uh, about from the community, from from people in general. And then you get other people that come out and say, uh, "It's great, thank you for making sure that I know the fix this thing or whatever." Um, but you know, some people are so aggressive about um, about it um, that uh, it's pretty. It was pretty painful. Um, you know, they're right after the one thirteen like zero release where a lot of deprecations were added and all that kind of stuff. And people are trying to look at it and figure out what to do, you know, and that was all compound compounded by, uh, you know, by a massive like rendering engine rewrite and all the new sort of new world things, different ways to think about stuff. Um, so that was, that was probably the, the most painful cycle that, uh, that I can recall. Going forward, I think that we'll be much better suited at just saying, hey, here's the roadmap. Here's the vision. Um, I think that part's great. Yeah. Um, yep. and, and, I think, and I think that's great. And, and just like say, hey, you know, we're, these things will ship when they're done. Like that's what we do. That's what we should do. Um, as long as they're not some like massive hole in the way of the world, uh, which I think we're past most of that, that point. 
Um, you know, like it'll happen when it happens and it's done when it's done. Um, and just telling everyone that, Hey, the next feature that you need is going to be the next two versions down, um, is actually, I think kind of worse for the story than it is better. <laughs> so yeah. yeah then it's I, like, why should I start today? I'll just wait. <laughs> I have a, uh, like this mental picture of an alternate timeline where there was an Ember, uh, one and one fifteen maybe. And, and the, the last thing that was, you know, all that stuff that, that came into the dot releases in one thirteen. I think things will stabilize. I think, and, and so that's, I wasn't fishing for this, but I have been thinking about this. Uh, it seems like things will stabilize at two Oh two one. And we'll get back to the, the style of Ember that everybody really likes. Uh, the stability, the stability oriented development that was really prevalent from, you know, one nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and then things got, you know, things went crazy with June twelfth, uh, and and then it seems like the seas are sort of maybe calming back down. Did you take a vacation by the way afterwards? Um, uh, so no, not after we shipped two o. Um, the you know I th- I I generally agree. I think that um, we had pretty good stability from one o o through one twelve. Um, and I think that some apps um, that were doing um, like certain things and we're not doing a lot of crazy stuff with the rendering pipeline probably also were perfectly fine on 113. I know I heard from a lot of people I helped upgrade many apps that worked on 113 and just you know needed help getting through deprecations and stuff. Um, but there there was a lot more changes between 112 and 113 than we should have had. And I also think that like ideally we could have feathered out like we should have landed the rendering engine full stop new release and then all the damn deprecations um you know but that's yeah. water that's like you know yeah. water under bridge it's it's already done yeah. it's passed we uh, hopefully um i th- well i can certainly tell you that i have learned quite a lot we'll probably be doing things slightly differently i also think that a lot of this a lot of the pain um was just the lack of good tooling to deal with the pain, um, like deprecations in and of themselves, uh, assuming we did our jobs right, um, just tell you that the thing is deprecated, but your functionality still works fine. Now, I know, I know personally of a few scenarios where that wasn't true, and I'm sure that some of us, uh, some of y'all do as well. But, um, but by and large, it's basically just saying, hey, you got to get rid of this thing, um, and uh, good luck. But um, unfortunately, yeah, the, the what add-on. happens, yeah, what what happens is you end up with. Like for my work app, dashboard.adaptable.com, we, uh, ran, I upgraded to 1.13. It basically worked. Um, there was like one thing that I had to fix, and it was, it was basically a dumb thing that we were doing. Um, and it, it worked, uh, except that the console had 32,000 error messages or deprecation <laughs> messages uh, after, after one <laughs> test run. <laughs> so that, that's like Ugh. one full run through the test suite, which is a decent test suite. But uh, 32,000 deprecations. So if you had like, if you were doing the old standby console log debugging, uh, throw that out the window. That's not going to work. You're going to have too much stuff coming across the screen. Um, so that's when um, uh, I was preparing for uh, Ember New York City meetup, and uh, Matt Beal and I made the uh, I think Ember CLI deprecation workflow add-on. That's the the goal of it is to like sit in between, let you decide what deprecations you're working on and sort of give you a way to have deprecation as like a chore uh, in your normal cycle instead of like, oh my gosh, I upgraded now, I can't use my console anymore. Yeah, that's, I, I am very intimate with that add-on and thank you guys so much. Thank you. That is my favorite add-on yeah, right now. We dedicated our whole uh, meetup to it last night where oh, really? Rob gave a talk about it and taught people how to use it and went around and helped people get it installed and uh, I heard from several people last night that they were finally able to squash their deprecations and uh, just not knowing that that tool existed or how to use it. So it's clear that you um, – it's weird that you're in, in sort of a customer service position for something that you do for people for free and also that you take it so seriously. It's clear that you provide a – like that you're listening. You provide a like a high level of service. I know that you can't help everybody. It's sort of like Superman sitting you know, 500 miles above the earth or whatever and like, help me, help me. Like, actually, there's an earthquake over here. I'm so sorry. You know, just call the cops. You're going to be fine. Um, you know, you can't do everything. But um, – uh, it, it, it's so clear how seriously uh, that you personally take that and uh, how how well uh, I think that's both a good signal for the rest of the core team, like how, how seriously Ember Core takes it because you're a good ambassador that way. Um, and also uh, it, it's part of why people say the Ember community is special and different and, and more fun to be a part of than uh, than than things that other things people may have done in the past. So uh, you're to be congratulated for being a huge part of that. You've really you've really shaped 
the style of interaction in the community over the last couple of years. And I wouldn't, if I were you, I wouldn't change a thing. I mean, the, the, the stuff that you're learning from in terms of, you know, the kind of, the kind of, uh, the kind of things that we all do when we're like, oh, I wish I would have done that a little different. That's very different than, uh, than treating people poorly or something, you know? So anyway, I, I just wanted, uh, before we wrap up to, uh, tell you how much we all at the front side, obviously appreciate, uh, all the work that you personally do and, uh, how much, uh, how much effort that you, that you put into this and the way in which you do the work. So thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. Absolutely. And please be honest. How many commits have you pushed during this conversation? Ah, zero. <laughs> I, uh, I put my keyboard away because it's a clicky keyboard, so you can actually hear it if I type. So, Well, our, so. Goal, our goal in, in every time we have somebody that's on the core team, we want to materially harm the Ember project in some way. Uh, last, <laughs> last week with Trek, we, we've caused documentation to not be written, and this week we're causing uh, bugs to not be fixed uh, or addressed. So uh, you're welcome, Internet. Um, so... <laughs> Something else that Stanley sort of instituted for when we bring people on uh, is uh, we we ambush people. They never know this is coming. We ambush people with a question about an open source project that they feel like could use some love or they've used recently that they like, uh, that you'd like to give a shout out to. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, that's a hard one. Um, so I I basically all the all the open source uh, repos that I am uh, like interacting with are ones that I have to maintain. So all of those, you guys do all the work there, and I'm going to go have a Mai Tai. <laughs> so that's github.com slash rwjblue, and then just like start from the back page. Go forward. <laughs> I have way too many repos too, like just one-off things. Um, yeah, so so it's kind, of, it's kind of crazy. Do you have a custom build tool? Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> called Ember CLI. <laughs> you're one of the few people that actually got one of those pushed through <laughs> like i'm gonna build a build tool javascript right. <laughs> we only have 12 of them what's one more yeah why not well uh robert thank you very much for for doing this with us and for sort of get coloring in the lines a little bit i think a, a lot of people know you through your work um but may not know uh how awesome yeah you how are. cool a person you are yeah so thank you very much for uh sharing that with us well, I certainly appreciate it. Thank you guys very much for having me on. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it. Yes. Thanks, everybody, for joining us again. Always, if you ever have questions or, that, or you think that there's uh, something that you want to hear about or people that you feel like we should be talking to, please get a hold of us. Uh, uh, I'm Brandon at Frontside.io. Thanks to everybody that, that joined us today, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. Bye.